Well, good morning. We are in the third week of our Revive series. We've talked about how um, we are gathered together as a people and how we are shaped by the Word of God. And one of the reasons we're going through this series is because I think we all want more, both from our personal spiritual lives and from our life as a church. Um, It feels like or it seems like there should be more wherever you are or whatever you're doing. um, I think we always feel like there should be more. And so this week, um, I went to a a pastor's meeting and one of the pastors did a devotional at the beginning um, just to kind of encourage us as we were there. And I I wanted to share that with you this morning because it, it, it kind of struck me what he said. Um, And so I think it will help us see kind of what we're talking about today is how Jesus shapes us um, as the church. And he read um, Philippians 1.6. It says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is probably familiar to most of you. Um, You've probably heard it before if you've grown up in church or been around church for a while. And so usually when we talk about this verse, we talk about God is going to complete me. He's going to finish me. He's going to continue to work in my life or in the life of our church. Um, And that's a good thing. But he talked about it from the other side, which means that means we're all incomplete. Right? Right? If we're going to be completed, that means in this moment, we're all incomplete. Our church is incomplete, right? And so this is true for all of us. And so until Jesus returns, our church will be incomplete, right? Until he comes back and makes it what it's supposed to be, we're incomplete. Until Jesus comes back, I will be incomplete. And so this morning, if we feel like our church isn't where it's supposed to be, if you feel like you're not where you're supposed to be, it's okay, because we'll never be complete until Jesus comes back and makes it that way. So I can't complete it, you can't complete it, only Jesus can complete it, right? So let's not be frustrated or disappointed about where we are, but let's embrace that Jesus is working on us, he is shaping us, he is sanctifying us, which is good news, right? That he is doing it and not us. Because if we try to do it, we're never going to make it. It's as we trust in him and he shapes us that we can change, that we can become what he intended for us to be or get as close as we can until he returns and makes us complete. And so which that's where our focus is going to be this morning. Our focus is going to be on Christ and how he is at the center of what we all are and all that we do. And so we're going to be working through Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. If you want to turn there. Um, it's page, on page 1037 in the Pew Bible that's right in front of you. Um, and if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, um, the one in the pew is now yours. Feel free to take it home and read it. Um, that would be our gift to you. We would love for you to have a Bible. Um, you can also follow along in the Brentwood Bible Church app um, by going to our Sunday service, and then the scriptures will be there for you. But we're going to read uh, the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live a life, to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, 
When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And so we're going to walk through these verses in Ephesians chapter 4, um, and we're going to see, I think, the progression that Paul gives us when he's talking about the church, about us together as a people. And so we're going to, I'm warning you at the beginning, we're going to go a little out of order, but just at the start. So we're actually going to start in verses 4 and 5, and we're looking at how we are one through Christ. Right? There's a lot of ones in these two verses. There's one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. So we're going to kind of work through all of those ones. First, there's one body. right? And there's two ways um, to think about that one body. I think he's talking about the church. And one is um, what we would call the universal church. That would be all believers in all times and all places who believe by grace through faith that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Whatever that looks like for all of history, that's the universal church, all of us together. Think of that as like, who will be in heaven with us when we get there? Um, that church is sometimes also called the invisible church because you can't really see that. Um, then there's the second side, which is um, the local church, which is what we would be. So we're a local expression of the universal church. And so that's a local gathering of believers in a particular place um, for a particular purpose. And that church is sometimes called the visible church because if you look around in the room, you can see that church, right? We're all here together. We are a visible local church together. And so we are together the one body in those two senses. But we become one body through the next one, through the Holy Spirit, right? What makes this family of believers, this family, this body, different than other families, no matter how awesome your family is, is the Holy Spirit. Right? Being indwelled by the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in how we interact together, how we work together. Um, having the Spirit of God actually within you is a game changer in your life. And so, just as a side note, that means if people aren't indwelled with the Spirit, we can't expect them to act like they are, right? If the Holy Spirit changes how you live your life, when you encounter people out in the world who are still far from God or aren't yet believers, we can't expect them to act like we act because they can't do it, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So we treat them with grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. But the question we might have then is, well, how do we know for sure that the Holy Spirit is within us? And so we would say that the Spirit comes at conversion, 
right? At the moment where you become a believer in Christ. Um, but what is conversion and how do we know that we are actually converted, which is where we get to the next one, which is one Lord. So we obtain the Holy Spirit through one Lord. And I would say that conversion comes not just when we believe, meaning I know the facts about Jesus and I can recite them to you, but when we actually put our faith and our trust, our lives, in the hands of Jesus. We see this, um, there's a verse in James that talks about even the demons believe um, that Jesus has done these things, but last I checked, I don't think they're going to be there with us when we get to heaven, right? So understanding the facts isn't enough. There needs to be a level of trust, a level of faith, a level of giving over. And so I think that it's the gift of faith that God gives us. And I was reading this week, um, and I ran across a, a quote by um, Charles Spurgeon. He was a, a great preacher, sometimes called like the best preacher there ever was. Um, but he was talking about this concept of how we become saved and how it's all God's doing. Um, and I know sometimes we talk about that a lot, but I thought his explanation that I saw was great. So I'm just going to read you what he says about how he became or how you could become a Christian. He said, how did you become a Christian? I sought the Lord, but how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? Like, what made me pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. Well, how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day and a desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change holy to God. Right? He follows the chain of how did I read the scriptures? How did I pray? How did I believe? How did I do all those things? It's because God was behind it, moving him from one step to another. And so when we respond in faith, something miraculous happens within us. Right? God takes, essentially, our disgusting pile of rags, our broken, bleeding hearts, our rebellious spirit, and he exchanges it. Not just for a new, clean version of what we had before. No, he gives us something different, something that we could never deserve. He gives us a different kind of heart, a different kind of spirit, one that is in tune with him, one that can overcome what caused us to have a disgusting, broken, bleeding, rebellious heart in the first place. And that can lead us down a whole new path. Right? This path begins because we all have faith, one faith, in the same thing. We have that faith that Jesus, God's own son, came to earth and lived among us. And he perfectly obeyed God's commands. And he never gave in to temptation. And even though he was perfect and he didn't sin, and he didn't break any of God's laws or any of man's laws, he was arrested and crucified like a guilty criminal. And he didn't argue. And he accepted the punishment and took not only this punishment, but the punishment for all sinners for all time. 
And we believe that he did that so that we could be experience salvation and be restored to a right relationship with God and be counted righteous through Christ. That's what we believe. That's what we trust in. That's what we hope in to receive the Holy Spirit. And as a testimony to that, we as good Baptists, the way you declare that you have made that and given your life over to Christ is you get baptized, right? Which is what it says. We have one baptism. We are baptized in Christ, testifying that we are believing in him. We are trusting in him. We are putting our faith in him that he has died for us on our sins. And then it talks about we all have one father, which means we're all adopted into the same family. That us together, as we sit here, we're all in the same family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are part of the household of God. Now, if you notice, if you look through this again, you'll notice that the Trinity is here in this verse. Right? And I'm going to look at it in reverse. Right? First, we have the Father who creates the one family, and then the one Lord, Jesus, who creates the one faith, the one hope, the one baptism, and then we have the one Spirit who creates the one body. And so we see God fully at work in this, creating one people, unifying us together. And so we are one through Christ, through what he has done for us, and how we trust in him. But as I'm sure you know, unity doesn't just magically happen because we're Christians, right? We don't just all become Christians and then we show up together and we're like, yes, we all get along and we all agree on everything and we're all agreeing like how we should do everything. That's how it works, right? Not really, right? There's still work to do, which is what we see next. And we're going to back up to verses um, two and three, really, um, but a little bit of verse one is they, yes, we are one. Yes, we are unified, but it takes some effort for us to be united as a family. And so Paul calls us in verse 1 to walk worthy of your calling. Right? Reminding us, we are called, we are converted followers of Christ. But what are we walking towards? What are we supposed to walk to? Right? He says, walk towards unity. Right? Because in verses 2 and 3, he talks about unity, about all of us together. We've talked about this kind of all along in this series, is being a Christian isn't an individual effort. It's a group project. We're all in this together. We're supposed to walk towards unity together. But how? How do we do that? Right? How can people from different backgrounds, different views, different life stages come together and be a family? And he gives us like a list Paul's sometimes really great at this, right? He'll say, you should do this. And then he gives us like a list of sometimes a lot of things, but here we just have a few of how we can do this. But he gives us a list that we do that through humility, right? Where we say, I am here this morning or wherever we get, whenever we gather as a church to serve, not to be served. I am here first to be shaped by God's word and to follow Jesus where my focus is on him, then to encourage and to help others do the same, where my focus is on others, right? It takes humility to look out for other people. It takes humility to say, I'm fine if somebody else gets to sing the songs that they like. It takes humility to say, 
this church doesn't have everything that I want, but I'm here to serve and to follow Jesus and help everyone else who is here. The funny thing, and I think the great thing about this attitude is, if everybody's doing that, everybody actually gets what you want, right? Because if I'm trying to make sure you get what you want, and you're trying to make sure I get what I want, then eventually we all get that. But it's not in a selfish way, it's in a loving, sacrificial way, right, that builds us up, which we'll get to in a minute. Then he talks about coming through patience, right? The process of becoming a disciple takes time. You don't just magic, well, sometimes you do. You just magically change as soon as you're converted, and that happens sometimes, but there's still work to do after that. It takes time to become a disciple. It takes take years for somebody to come to faith. Some of you are praying for family members, and you've been praying for decades that they would come to faith, right? It takes time to do that. It can take years to overcome a particular sin, And it takes patience to walk alongside somebody who's having the same issues again and again and again, right? It takes patience for us to do that. It takes patience, right, to turn a church around. It takes patience from us to work with others. It also takes patience for others to work with us, Right? We understand it one way usually, right? I need to be patient with them, but we forget sometimes people need to be patient with us. Right? We're never the people that, other, that need patience. Right? It's always somebody else. But it especially takes patience to do the next one that's on his list, which he says is bearing with one another. Now, I was fine with the other ones, but this one makes it sound like work. Right? We're supposed to bear with one another. Right? Humility, patience, I can understand those, but this one makes it look like man, I'm really doing some work here. I'm bearing with you. I'm putting up with you. I'm tolerating you. And I think Paul knows that working together with other people can sometimes be difficult. It can be hard. Some people have tough personalities. Some people don't follow through on what they're supposed to do. Some people are selfish. Some people don't understand what they're actually doing to other people when they talk or run through their actions. It's hard because even though we are converted and the power and penalty of sin is severed, no longer has control over us, we still struggle and battle with sin. So when sinners try to work together, it gets messy. It gets messy sometimes. And I had this thought, and I wasn't sure if I was going to share it, but I think it might be helpful for us. So if we're in a church together and it's not messy... What does that mean? If we never have anybody apologizing or seeking forgiveness or asking for forgiveness from somebody else, I think that says something about us. Right? Not that we're intentionally hurting people, but if we agree we're all sinners and we're all going to mess up and we're all going to make mistakes and we're working together on this mission... There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be disagreement. And we should have conversations about those and talk about those. Because that means we're being honest and open and dealing with our issues. Which I think means we're helping to sanctify each other. To make each other more holy. To help us see things that we sometimes don't see in ourselves. And then it calls us, as if that one wasn't enough work, he says, make every effort. Right? Make every effort. And I think this one is also challenging, right? 
He didn't just say, make some effort. Or on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, make some effort. No, he says, make every effort. And I know this thought isn't right, but the thought I had was, that seems like asking too much, right? To make every effort to do this. Like, I have other things to do. I have other things going on. Right? But I think what he's asking for is right. It's hard work giving up my wants for the good of the body. To give up what you want, what you think you need for the good of others is hard. And it's hard work, I think, as we come together to make secondary matters or worldly matters um, where they're supposed to be secondary because sometimes we elevate things that aren't important to first importance. Like we're not arguing about the gospel and the truth of the gospel and our core beliefs. We're arguing about something else. And so if that's what we're disagreeing on or that's where the struggle is, we need to say, hey, this isn't a core thing and put it in its proper place, in the proper perspective and say, we can let that go so that we can be together for the gospel to follow him. And so if we're all one in Christ and we work towards unity, does that mean that we're all the same or that we're supposed to be the same? Like sometimes when you drive through a neighborhood and you just look around, you'll see like every third house is exactly the same, right? It's a cookie cutter neighborhood where they just take one and they just stamp it out. Um, it's a really fast way to build a neighborhood, um, but maybe not the most visually appealing way. Right? So does that what being a Christian and united as a family and being together is supposed to look like? That we're just like cookie-cutter versions of Jesus and we all look the same and act the same and do the same things? Well, let's see what Paul says about that, starting in verse 7. What he's going to tell us is, yes, we are one, but we are also unique. And so we see this in verse 7 and following. Um, and he ends this with, in verse 11. He says, And he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And so he's giving different gifts to the church, to different people, to be built up. And then I'm going to jump over. You don't have to turn here. I'm going to read it for you, but you could read it later. Is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is another great section of verses about the church coming together and being one body. And so in verse 7, he says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Then in verses 8 through 10, he just lists different gifts that people have. And then in verse 11, he says, One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And so what we see in these two sections of verses is that God gives gifts to the members of his church. But he gives each person a different gift. All those gifts come through the one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which we talked about earlier. So there is one source for the gifts, but many different gifts. So we're not cookie cutter, we're unique through the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us different gifts on purpose, which means a couple of things. One, your gift is needed for the church or for this church. God has uniquely gifted you and sent you to this body in this time to serve the church and help other people grow up and make disciples. 
And this is my long-held belief, and you've heard this from me before, is that God gives each church everything they need to accomplish his mission and purpose for that church. So I believe who we have together as a church is exactly who God decided that we needed to do what we're talking about, to have a revival, right? To make much of God, to make much of the gospel, to make much of the scriptures, to love him and to love others more, and to see us do those things together, that we have everything we need. We are not lacking in anything. But there's also this other side to this, and we saw that in the verses that Jeremy read in the call to worship in Galatians, right, where it says when we become believers, it's, there's other verses that say this, right, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no Jew, Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female. Does that mean that all of those things are now irrelevant because we are one in Christ, right, that those things that make us unique, our background and our biology, they don't matter anymore? No, I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's saying when you become a believer that your uniqueness disappears. It just means those things aren't ultimate in our identity. Right? For our identity, saying I am in Christ is at the top of the list. And so understanding what it means to be a man, a woman, a Jew, a Greek, an American, an Asian, black, white, is all understood in light of the one at the top of the list, which is, I am in Christ. And so our identity is found in him, and then everything else filters through understanding what it means to be in Christ. So those things are still there, but they're not the ultimate things in our life anymore. So we're still unique, and your culture, and your background, and your ethnicity, and all of those things come to the table. I think we actually need all of those things. But it all filters through our identity is in Christ. So then we come to the last question, right? This sounds challenging. It sounds difficult. If you've been in church for any period of time, you know kind of seeking unity and being together as a family is hard sometimes. So why do we need to do this? Why do we need to be united together as a family and this is what Paul answers in the last part in verses 13 through 16. Right? He says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way him who is the head Christ, for from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And in 1 Corinthians 12, which we read just a minute ago, the first verse we read is verse 7, kind of reiterates this. It says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So God gives us all gifts. He brings us all together for what purpose? For the good of the body. For the common good. Your gifts are not just for you. They're for everyone. So if you are only using your gifts for you, you are missing out. 
because that's not the only reason God gave them to you. He gave them to you to serve the church and to serve others. This also means you can't sit there and say, well, I don't have any gifts. Because this clearly says the Spirit gives them to each person. Each person has a gift that is beneficial and useful for this church, for this body. And they're given to help us, and like Paul does, he gives us three things that they help us accomplish. Right, so that we can all reach unity in the faith. Right, unity in the gospel, not unity in something else. But all those other secondary things melt away and we are united by faith in Christ. Then it brings us to the knowledge of God's Son. Right, we, what I would say is this is the gospel. The message about Jesus is known, it's proclaimed, and it's applied. It's known, proclaimed, and applied. For example, you might say, man, I'm really struggling right now. And I've given in to that temptation that I thought I would never give into. I gave into it again. Right? But the gospel says I can have hope because there's grace and there's forgiveness for me. Right? So we're proclaiming the gospel to ourselves. Or maybe you're like, man, I am doing great. I am growing I feel really close to Jesus. I'm moving closer to him. Some great things are happening in my life. Then that means you can rejoice because God has given you a sinner the strength and the faith to move forward. Right? So no matter what happens, we understand that the gospel is behind wherever we are at. And we can apply different parts of it to different things and different scenarios and different circumstances so that we're all growing in that together. And then it says it helps us all to grow to maturity, to Christ's fullness. Right? We need each other to see and grow to the fullness of Christ. And this is one of the interesting things. If, if I didn't tell you this, my degree in seminary is actually in missions. Um, because I thought that being a pastor in the future was going to look a lot more like a missionary than it was what a pastor used, usually looked like in the past. One of the things you learn when you take a bunch of missions classes is you actually get a fuller perspective of who God is when you start talking to people of different cultures and different backgrounds. Because they focus on and they see different parts of God's character and different parts of his attributes than you see. So when you start listening to them, you see God from a different angle and a different perspective than you ever have before, which broadens your view of who God is and how he operates in the world. I think that's what Paul is saying is we need each other because when we come together and we start talking about who God is and what he's doing in our lives, we see things through other people that we wouldn't see on our own. And so we have a fuller perspective on who God is and how he operates in our lives because we're together, because we're talking about it. And so we need each other to get a fuller perspective of God. We also need each other, right, to to help us see our blind spots, right? Some of you know things about me and see things that I do that I don't see yet. And some of you do things, and we see them in you that you don't see yet. And that's okay. But that's why he brings us together, to help us work on those things together, to see our blind spots, to expose them, to apply the gospel to them so that we can grow up together to maturity, 
And then there's some other things, right? We can be solid. We can not be tossed around. We won't follow the trends, which are different and change all the time. But for us, we focus on the gospel. So this week, even though we're preaching about the church and rival and being united in Christ, this one's really easy to do this. We're talking about the gospel. And next week, we're going to preach about the gospel. And next month, when we go to Ephesians, which is next, we're going to be preaching about the gospel. And next year, whatever we're preaching about, we're going to be talking about the gospel. Because that's what we do, and that's what we need, and that's what we need to understand. Now, we see it from different ways and different perspectives, and that helps us. But we do that so that we're not tossed around, we're not just following fads and trends or whatever is cool in church world, right? But we're focused on the gospel. And we do that by speaking the truth in love, right? We're called to help each other, to encourage each other, to correct each other lovingly. Um, We're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to say a lot about that one here. But then what does it say at the end? That when all of this happens, when all these things come together, that everyone's using their gifts, the church builds itself up. That we do that together. That as we follow Christ, as we follow Jesus, as we submit to him, as we're humble and patient and we bear with one another and we make every effort to be together and encourage one another and love one another and help one another grow in Christ, that we build ourselves up. We are responsible for each other, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks again. The other thing I think happens is when we do this, when we actually do this, it gives us a testimony of Christ. It gives us a testimony of the gospel. And that kind of unity in our current world is uniquely appealing. Right, when people for who are 80 and 28 or 18 or 38 or 48 or anywhere in between can come together, when people who voted for completely different people in the election can come together, right, when people from different backgrounds and some from cities and some from other countries, when we all come together and we're united. That's a testimony to the world that something is different. And if you weren't sure that people were always arguing outside of the church or sometimes in the church, um, just look at the news for like three minutes um, and that'll remind you that everybody's just kind of arguing about everything right now. Right? So unity is uniquely appealing in this time. And this is, this is kind of where I want to leave us um, this morning as we kind of wrap it up is... As we do this, all we're really doing is preparing for eternity. Because Revelation chapter 7 tells us this. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Right? This is what we're doing. All tribes, all nations, all political parties, 
everyone will be singing together before the throne. Because we understand the lamb was sacrificed for us so that we could have life. So it's our goal as we try to do this together as a unified family is we're just practicing for the end. When Jesus returns and he completes what he's doing in us and he completes what he's doing in our church and all the other churches, so we're just striving for unity. We're making every effort, not on our own, but through Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come together and we just, we just ask you, we pray for, for unity, for unity of purpose, for unity of mind, um, for unity of mission. As we come together as a church, as we look at um, what is coming in the future, where you want us to go and what you want us to do and, and how we can do that together. I pray that you will help us to, th to think of you and to put being in Christ, of being a believer, of understanding that we were given the Holy Spirit as we trusted in you. That that makes all the difference. And it allows us and it changes us to be unified, to be together, to let the other things kind of fade away or fall into the background or not be of most importance, but to seek and to follow you. So I pray that you would just help us, that we would do all of these things, that we would be patient, that we would be humble, that we would be kind, that we would bear with one another, that we would make effort to be together, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to help each other see our blind spots so that we can be mature in you, so that we can be solid, so that we can be grounded, so that we can follow you above all things. So God, give us whatever it is we need and help us to see in ourselves what you have given us, right? The gifts that you've given each one of us for the good of the body. And help us to ask you and to seek of you, how can I use what you've given me to serve, to build up the church. God, and we do all of this not so that we can be known or we can talk about how great we are, but so that we can talk about how great you are and how you have worked through us and you have changed us. You have moved in us. We have seen our lives change, us grow closer to you, and that others will come to faith and will see baptisms and all of those things that come with that that we would trust in you and glorify you in all of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.